to the Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I'm your host, Louise Sullis, and with me, as always, is my very, very talented friend who is always teaching me something new, the mixtress DC, Gina. Hi, Louise. Hi, lovely. I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good right now. Are you? Yeah, I am. You on a sugar high? I feel like I'm on a sugar high. It's been a long, <laughs> it's been a fun long day of like tasty treats. No, that is a good day. Yes. So, um, you have a career that fills your life with tasty treats. I do. Yeah. I absolutely do. But, you know, not... And my hips don't lie. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely do. But we all know it can be tough finding a career that actually fulfills your soul or your tummy. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe I find something to fill my soul, not so much my stomach. That's probably good. (laughs) It's probably a good idea. Balance, balance, right? So according to a recent Harris poll, you know, those polls, um, only 14% of Americans believe they have a great job and would not change it. That's so only, sad. Yeah, only 14%. That's really low. Um, the poll also found that 59% of middle-income workers were thinking about changing their jobs this coming year. And these job, and these job researchers aren't just looking um, to step up to up the corporate ladder or find, you know, the next level into like something that's a better paying position, many are just really ready to throw it all out and rethink their careers all together. Change industries, change it all, right? Um, In fact, it's estimated that the average worker will change career fields around five times in their lives as they search for a role that truly, you know, fulfills them and not just pays the bills. That was a high number. Fuck. I've done none of those. <laughs> well, then that you I was fell born in. in the restaurant. My father told me never to work in the restaurant. I went to college. I went back to the restaurant, and then now here I am. There I'm you dying of, I'm gonna die in the restaurant. <laughs> so you obviously have the secret. What's you know what's that secret that those fourteen percent who are working in a field that they love and a role that just makes their heart sing? What is it? What is it that works for them? And. According to this, for many, they simply followed their passions from a young age, which eventually guided them into a rewarding career, which I think is really your story. Yes. Yes. Yes, See? it is. I'm rewarded. I feel rewarded. Well, I think this also includes today's designated drinker. I think I'm going on limb, but She's I'm guessing. She's way cooler than we are. Yeah, well, everyone I mean, is. obviously. That's such a low bar. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So ever since she was a little girl, she enjoyed going to museums and learning about different cultures. And she is currently the registrar for the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Latino. She is none other than Sarah Elston herself. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. All right. Are you one of those 14 percenters? I mean, I'm still, you know, I call myself an emerging museum professional, but I, I hope so. Yeah. I hope I, I hope I am. I really love what I do. So. What the hell is the registrar for the Smithsonian's National Museum (laughs) of the American Latino? What does that mean? So the Smithsonian has 21 different museums in the National Zoo, plus a couple of other non-collecting units. We have the Smithsonian Gardens and other units like that that, you know, aren't considered a full-on museum. Um, But uh, one of the newest museums is the National Museum of the American Latino, and I am the registrar. 
And what a registrar does is I do kind of all of the logistical work behind the objects on display. So I do all the paperwork, I talk to our lenders and our donors, I make sure that we have the rights to kind of have those objects on display, that the, you know, everybody involved is comfortable, that the objects are safe, that we have, you know, the proper mount, the temperature and humidity, just a lot of logistics. And I work with a lot of great people to make sure that happens. That's awesome <laughs> it really is do you get to like touch so i know it's not so stupid right but i don't care yeah the greatest thing i feel like would be like to go to a museum and be able to touch the things that are like behind the glass because oh, yes. like you've like seen them like there's so many things like yeah. growing up like i've always wanted to be like i just want to touch that like egyptian i don't know <laughs> yeah. do you know what i mean so like do you wear the white gloves and like touch the object? Uh, not so much white gloves. I usually wear latex gloves. But yeah, I um, I'm the person who, when loans come in or when new objects come in, I unpack them, I check them, I you know handle them, photograph them, make sure that they're ready to go on display, and hand them off to our mount maker, who she does a lot more work with them than I do. Um, but then yeah, I help install everything. I help deinstall. I undress and dress mannequins, all that fun stuff, and. It, it is kind of a surreal moment when you get to climb in and be like, ooh. Did you ever put on one of the objects. dresses? No, I don't do that. <laughs> Even if she did, she would never tell us. I mean, I gotta be honest. I mean, some of those, I mean, some of those dresses and stuff that they have in like the different museums that I have not been to, um, the new museum yet, but I know for sure that like the first lady dresses, like I was, I might not fit in any of them. 100% though, I would be like, let me just, I don't know, I would try. Yeah. I'd be like the Kim Kardashian that rips the dress. You know what I mean? <laughs> like she should have never worn the Marilyn Monroe. She you know what I mean? Even yeah. if you didn't eat for two weeks, yeah. should not have worn it. I, you know, I would definitely still be like, okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's why I'm not allowed in museums after dark. <laughs> I don't know. So let's back up for two seconds and tell us how where did this interest for museums? I know it's from you being a little girl. I only know this from us chatting the other day. Tell our listeners more about that. How did this all begin for you? Um, well, I, I was fortunate enough to live very close to the American Museum of Natural History when I was a kid, and my mom would just kind of take me and my sibling there, like basically once a week, because um, we had a family membership, and we were able to go and. I still have old sketchbooks of us like drawing the little dinosaur fossils and stuff. I mean, they look nothing like actual dinosaurs, <laughs> but um, you know, we have just, I have really great memories of just going through and especially when you're a little kid and there are these giant things on display and everything is so big and so important and so huge. Um, you know, I just, I've always had that kind of wonder when walking into a museum and you know, I was really passionate and good in school. I love learning. And, you know, museums are a great way to continue learning. And yeah. I've always been the kind of person who likes to learn a little bit about a lot of different things, which I think is what museums are great for with all the different exhibit halls, the different topics, the different curator specialties. Um, you know, at the National Museum of American History, there's a curator of beer. Yeah. Who's like they, we Actually, have... I would excel at that <laughs> We've had her on the show. Yes. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, her, her name? name is escaping me. I can look it up. Yes. I've never yeah. met her personally, but I know she's worked with us um, with our unit up. on a couple of different things before. And it's just like, that's just the coolest job. Like, yeah. And, you know, to be able to help people who are the experts in their field and get to talk to to people who whose families have been part of this history that we're trying to tell is just, it's incredible. And 
to get to talk to, to lenders and see how excited they are to be included in the, you know, the first exhibit of the National Museum of American Latino has been unbelievable. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. It seems like there'd be lots of tears. Um, there are some, not, I've, I've seen a few in person. Um, I know that I'm not in the gallery all the time. I, I'm usually hiding behind the scenes <laughs> when we're, uh, when we have people in the gallery, but, uh, you know, we do have some, we have a lot of emotional stuff in the gallery yeah. and, um, it's the, the Smithsonian's first gallery dedicated to the Latino history of the United States. And it, it is very emotional for a lot of people to come yeah. in for sure. To see, to be honored. I, absolutely. Yeah. Teresa McCullough. That's her. Yes. yes. I just had to look it up. I'm and where did you go to get, did you go to the designated drinker show? I did go to the designated drinker show. <laughs> um, you, it's amazing how many people we've had on our show. I, sometimes I wonder like how, it's great. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to throw it out there. Yeah. Hi, great. Teresa, if you're listening. <laughs> Hopefully she's listening. I'm sure she is. I'm sure yeah. she is. So you kind of start talking about, is it really like night at the museum? I mean, do like things really come alive? Do they run, run around? <laughs> Not so much, but I will say I've had some strange experiences in our gallery because um, we shut off the lights every night and I'm all sure the it's AV. It's got to be creepy. It is. It is creepy. And then you look over and you see a mannequin kind of catching a light <laughs> weird. Or we have these very directional speakers in our gallery that have storytellers talking and the audio doesn't go off. Oh. overnight for some reason. And so I'll walk through the middle of the gallery and be like, Your whoa, voices. my goodness, there's people <laughs> talking at me. Because the directional speakers are very good, so you don't really hear it until you walk right under it. And I always manage to forget when I'm in at <laughs> 6 in the morning that someone's going to be talking at me just from... How random is that? It's, it's so bizarre. And, you know, at first I was kind of like, can we fix that? And now I'm kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm not alone. Yeah. At 6 a.m., <laughs> like carrying a ladder across the gallery. So it's it's cool. It's 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 a reminder that there's like actual history being told and being made. So it, it's it's a cool experience for sure. But there are we do have like empty you know undressed mannequins kind of tucked into storage, and that is that is a little <laughs> bit creepy sometimes. You just see a hand yeah. sticking out. Or <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm making of a really good horror movie. Like it's like oh well you know. Yeah, it would be because there, there's gonna be there's gonna be creepy moments where you're like, I know. I keep thinking about like all the artifacts and stuff. Like, did you ever be like, all right, I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna actually use it to bake like I don't know the bread or something. I mean, oh, from like Julia Child. Yes, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> what is one of the coolest things you've been able to touch? Um, well, one of the things that that we you know it took a team to install was this uh, raft that we have on loan from um, Anacostia Community Museum. It was used by two refugees coming over um, uh, fleeing Cuba. Wow. And it's, you know, it's not big enough for two people, really. Yeah. It's less than six feet long, I would say. And we have a case that's very low down to the ground, and it took four of us to kind of pick it up and slide it into the case. and. You know, I'm the person examining it before we put it in and make sure we know all the condition and everything. There's no sure. pieces falling off. And just kind of getting to look at this very intimately and read this really long report that a conservator had done already, talking about it and talking about, like, you can just see the human imprint on it. You really wow, can. You can and, feel the, it. and you can feel it. And it, it had a certain smell, you know, like, it's styrofoam. So it's, you know plastic and vinyl wow. and tar and canvas and it's just it's this unbelievably powerful moment in the gallery but having it kind of 
I was in this giant room that's our like crate room where I was examining it and just being alone in there with that was just it was very surreal and kind of emotional even yeah. for me and I'm I'm you know I, I don't have this experience of of being an, an immigrant myself or you know I'm not Latina and just but I, I'm third I'm fourth generation um on both sides of my family so it's you know it, I could connect to it. And yeah. I think that's something that's really great about museums is that you can always find something that you can connect to your own life. Yeah, I would imagine they have to be very powerful to think about the human condition on that, the fear, the all of the things that went into that. Wow, yeah. that's really cool. It's a very powerful moment in the gallery and it's kind of private in the back. So you really can have a, a full moment with it if you want. And we have this kind of immersive lighting that makes it look like there's waves and we have music and our digital team did a great job, you know, it kind of making the environment really feel powerful. And well, that was great. Also, you know, being able to touch it behind the scenes and, and handle it and really yeah. examine it is also awesome. I bet. That's really cool. Yeah. When, when was that made? Like, when was that made? Um, I believe it was found or confiscated in 1995. Yeah, about 95. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's so been, recent. Mm hmm. I mean, it's so, it's like not recent, but really recent, you know, like it's just, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to believe that like that's how, that's how people still immigrate to the U.S. Like that's like how it is or like how, you know what I mean? I don't even know. I feel terrible. Like it makes you feel terrible and then also like you could do more. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I think it's very cool that you um, got to do that. Yeah. Also, I, I don't know why I'm getting like emotionally like upset about it, but <laughs> I think it's gonna stop now. I think that's the amazing thing about the museums and the fact that these all these things are in our backyard. I mean, we're very fortunate to live so close to these, um, I mean, American treasures are just historical treasures. Mm -hmm. um, to be able to go, to your point, you can continuously learn. Yeah, that. absolutely. And, and you know, we, we rotate objects every six months or so, so there's always new stories coming into the gallery and we have, you know, digital things that we, you know, highlight on our social media and on our website. We have a story about rotation specifically so people can learn more about behind the scenes and the exhibits and things like that. So, you know, we always are trying to help educate. We have so much programming done. I know Emily Key's been on here a couple yeah. of times, our head Love of education. Her. She's amazing. Um, and yeah, I mean, our team is, is really awesome. And we always try to help make sure that if people want to learn that we have so many resources for them, for sure. That's cool. That's cool. You that teach everyone how to make cocktails. I know, but like, that's not as cool as do you want to teach you something now? Yeah, I'll teach you a trick. You want to right, try? You want to learn something? Yeah, I'll Actually, teach you we're something. Gonna, we're going to learn something today. All right, let's do okay. it. Okay. Is this not heavenly? Absolutely. Like, the smell, like, it's so good, right? You're like, why? what is all these weeds laying out here? Well, normally I don't have Louise come into my tips and trick area, but this time I needed her because they have not invented smell-o-vision. And sometimes I feel like when I'm talking about like esters and aromas and things, um, maybe everyone is like, this girl is insane because I'm alone on camera. Um, so I want- But you are insane. I know, I am insane. We're gonna give this a little wash and then we're gonna come right back to it. Is that cool? Yes, let's okay. do it. Okay. So we've given our mint a little wash and now it's like really beautiful and we're gonna talk about it, right? Mint, what is it? It's a weed. It's a weed that doesn't really want you to bother it too much. <laughs> and all the people that had spent a lot of time, um, you know, taking their mint and like trying to like pick it and make it beautiful is really just a waste of time. Now, my mint has gone to flower, which I purposely do because I have um, mint 
areas that I use all this mint in the restaurants. And we're gonna talk about three different kinds that you can grow at home, or you could grow at your restaurant, or you could steal from your neighbor. No, don't steal from your neighbors. But uh, it's really kind of interesting, right? So none of the mint here is just your typical um, mint. This is um, a, a chocolate mint. And chocolate mint is, not because it smells like chocolate, it's because it has a darker stem. Oh. And this is the mint, and the reason why they got its name chocolate mint, because this is the mint that they would make into, um, like using different, like chocolatiers would use this kind of mint in order to make like your spearmint oh. Um, oh. chocolates or something that's a little bit more delicate and fragrant, right? It's amazing, isn't it? It's beautiful. I've always wondered why it was chocolate mint. And it's um, just really like pungent, like super pungent. And it's because cacao, when you mix it with chocolate itself, it is, um, it, it can overtake every flavor. So you need something that can stand up against it and it's really quite lovely, right? So you just like, it's like, I love this. And I also love the tops when they look like this right now. Even though people would say you had to clip this before it went to seed. For what I use it for, for cocktails, I love the seed. Perfect. Right? Okay, so this. Ooh, it smells so good. Opposite of this, which is not, is, um, as strong in the um, in the oil category and like how it's like really fragrant. This is a pineapple mint, which is a hybrid, which is sounds silly, of apple mint and then traditional spearmint. And it was bred to look like this. This is not naturally occurring. Oh. It's kind of, um, but now it grows wild in my yard <laughs> and it's really beautiful. And if you just give it a good smell, the pineapple and uh, flavor is like kind of um, overwhelming, but you know what I really think it smells like a lot of? Marijuana. And if you've ever like been anywhere where people smell like growing marijuana or any growing fields, like it smells just like that hemp, whatever you want to call it. You it does know? not taste like marijuana smells. Though. No, it's it insane. doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's, it's really good. good. But this makes a fabulous, fabulous mojito. And then my favorite that took me forever, which I think on a couple episodes we've talked about strawberry mint. This mint it's now like has weirdly. gone has gone to seed completely. Now the reason why. This is, looks like my hair in the morning. Yes, because I want, I don't know what your hair looks like in the morning, <laughs> put it on your head like a chapeau. Um, <laughs> the reason why I wanted to go to seed is because I'm trying to grow a patch. This mint has been impossible to get grown, but look at these leaves. They are so dark and they're a little wet right now, so you can't really see it. They're full of little hairs and it smells just like strawberries. It's like so beautiful. And if you mix these two things together, they make one hack of a delicious mojito, which we are going to make. Today is a very good day. It's a good day to be you, for it sure. Is. So until they invent Smell-O-Vision, I'll bring Louise. I'll see you <laughs> next time. Well, I don't think I've ever known so much about mint. I've been exposed to so much about mint. I don't think you've cleaned so much mint before. Probably I think, not. I think, I think that's what it really is. Oh, like, it was, it's really interesting. Like when you talk about like I, like I said, I didn't know where chocolate mint came from. I didn't know why it was chocolate, and um, and then being able to taste those side by side really makes sense about building your cocktail and how some are just like wow, yeah. I'm here, and others are quiet. Yeah, and they're made for the aromatics, mm -hmm. and you know, and like what they're used for, and that's how they got their names. And grow more mint. It's great. The pollinators love it. Yes. So. And yes, then and then you have to make cocktails with it. It doesn't get better than that. I know. Good for the bees. Uh, yeah. Good for your cocktail. Yeah. Win, good win, to win. Keep, good to keep rats away if you live in a city. Mint? Yes, they hate it. Oh. Hate it. Hate it. Well, there you go. Plant more mint. Okay. Plant All right. More lavender. Well, okay. Well, where are they going to go to get that tip? 
You can do it at designateddrinker.show for the tip. Um, well, really, it's a, it's a know-how today, right? There you go. And um, you can also follow us on Instagram at designateddrinker. And you can see my face, all the mints. And Louise joined me today, so that's actually fun. I was guest starring today. I know. Alongside right? the mint. I know. Yes, it was mint <laughs> and Louise. The minty Louise. <laughs> <laughs> it was refreshing, if you will. Well, if you didn't catch any of that, don't worry. Just scroll down into your episode notes. Um, we'll make sure there's links to get you to designatedrinker.show, where we have all of Gina's recipes for the last six seasons. That's crazy. Um, yeah, our library of libations. Um, and all of our archives, our episodes, in case you want to learn anything more about our guests, like Sarah. And the other thing is going to make sure you have a link straight to um, Namal. Is that right? Namal, which uh, Sarah just taught me, is short for the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Latino. I love that. Yeah, so make sure there's a link there and so they can catch up on what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, this brings us to the end of part one already with the Registrar of the Smithsonian's National Museum of the American Latino, Sarah Elston. But if you're anything like me or Gina, um, and one round is just never enough. So uh, go off, top off that drink, and get ready for part two of this episode as we continue our boozy banter. And Gina is sure to share a recipe that is museum worthy. Mm. You like that? That was good. Hurry that back. Was good. <laughs> the Designated Drinker Show is produced by Missing Link a Latino-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, we craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Also in the Missing Link lineup of podcasts is Roger That, a podcast dedicated to guiding you through the haze of dementia, led by skilled caregivers. Now, if you're looking for a whole new way to enjoy the theater, check out Between Acts, an immersive audio theater podcast experience. Each episode takes you on a spellbinding journey through the works of newfound playwrights, from dramas to comedies and everything in between. Find Missing Link's League of Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please don't forget to follow, download, and review the shows. Your reviews help our shows reach new audiences. To find out more about Missing Link, visit missinglink.company. That's missinglink.company.